0: For us, for me, I really see this work as life and death, not just of human life or death, but also of potential, of that glow in a person's eyes when they know that they belong. You can see it. You can feel it. Belonging has a feeling. And you can feel the healthy space.
1: This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Ann Bryce. We've heard the acronym DEIBJ a lot on campus, especially in the past few years. For those who might not know, it stands for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging, and Justice. A growing number of people at UC Berkeley have positions dedicated solely to this incredibly important work. But sometimes it's hard to know exactly what DEIBJ means, what it actually looks like in practice, now in our day-to-day lives, but also in the future when initiatives and policies and other on-the-ground work has transformed our institution. So I talked with Tyron Douglas. He is the Associate Athletic Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging, and Justice at Cal Athletics. Douglas, who joined Berkeley two years ago, explained the nuts and bolts of DEIBJ in his upbeat and clear-eyed way that he seems to apply to all things he does. He also talked about growing up in Bermuda, a precocious kid feeling like he didn't belong, why sport is a legitimate academic discipline, and how justice is the juice of DEIBJ. First, can you introduce yourself? So tell me a little bit about um, your position at UC Berkeley and, um, and how long you've been on campus.
0: Sure. Well, first, you know, hello to your audience. So grateful to be on. Uh, my name is Dr. Ty Douglas. Uh, most people know me on campus as Dr. Ty. I am the Associate Athletic Director for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging, and Justice. Uh, the short version of that is DEIBJ. You got to let it flow and DEIBJ, right? <laughs> and a uh, big title for a very simple, uh, but an important message and focus. And that is to ensure that every single, you know, person in our department um, knows and feels that they belong, and, and are able to thrive, you know, and to live lives of justice. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a part of who I am. You know, I'm uh, also, uh, you know, I'm a professor, I'm a teacher, uh, I'm a, a husband, I'm a dad, uh, you know, I'm a writer, I'm an author, I've written five books, written, written or edited five books. So I, uh, prior to being here at UC Berkeley and Cal Athletics, you know, I was a professor at the University of Missouri for 10 years, an associate professor of educational leadership and policy analysis Um, from a middle and high school English teacher, Um, you know, grew up playing soccer and cricket in Bermuda. So I'm originally from the beautiful island of Bermuda, born and raised. Um, But interestingly enough, you know, my my biological father, my father is from St. Louis. So I write about and literally describe myself as a border crossing brother, uh, a black male who has navigated various, you know, geopolitical, you know, social, cultural, Uh, And even national, you know, um, borders and identities and spaces. And so it gives me a really unique purview to think about the world. And and in addition to my research, you know, to think about um, space and how it matters as as to how people experience belonging or not.
1: Bermuda, where Douglas was born and lived until he went to college, is a self-governing British overseas territory in the Western North Atlantic Ocean. It's an archipelago that's about 24 miles long and averages a mile wide. More than half the population is black, about 30% is white, and the rest is from mixed Asian or other backgrounds. Douglas went to a competitive high school that was founded in 1662, so it was entrenched in particular ideologies of who belonged and who didn't.
0: What we're talking about is the ideology of whiteness being right, right? And that's what I felt in the school that I was at. That me as a dark-skinned black young man, um, who you know, um, you know, just my ways of being and and just seeking to navigate the space, it just it didn't feel like it was for me. And this was long before the conversations that were being had in 2020. So there wasn't as much language for it, but it has prepared me now to advocate uh, for all people. And in particular for those who are most marginalized.
1: Mm-hmm. What did it look like for you when you were feeling like you didn't belong? Like, how did that kind of manifest in your in your life at school, outside of school? Like, um, how did you work through it? Too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I have to take you back. You know, when I went to uh, my elementary school, or they call it primary school, but You know, I went. I was in classes we were like my teachers told me that I was likable and capable. Like I had a a, a teacher, Miss Ferbitt. I talk about her anytime I'm invited to do talks and the like. I had a big crush on Miss <laughs> Ferbitt, right? She was like my grade two teacher, <laughs> um, and I was I was, a, I was a, pre- a precocious kid. Like I was, I've always been a word person, so I was the kid who was like, you know, I, I told her that she was being facetious, then <laughs> right, At like seven years old, right? And she was just like, "What does that word mean?" And I was like trying to be funny, but really not respecting others. You know, and she was like, ah, you know <laughs> what I mean? she was like, spell it. I'm like F-A-C-E-T-I-O-U-S. Oh my <laughs> you know, you I mean? like, I knew at least one word from, the, from the, um, the word of the Day Calendar that my mom bought for me, right? Um, and it was a space where I thrived as an athlete. And, you know, I was champion boy in sport. And I was the head boy, which is like in, in the British system, you know, you have like this, uh, the, the, the young people who are like, they are sort of like, um, almost like student body president, but it's more like the, the class leader who basically sort of helps the teachers to do what they're supposed to do as <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Like right? And so, <laughs> uh, so, but long story short, you know, transitioning from there to another space where one, I was amidst other people who were at the top of the class. So that comes with a level of, of challenge. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to understand why. I've always been a researcher, right? So I learned uh, and was in a Eurocentric environment where you know the the call and response the 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 inquiry of how asking why wasn't as wasn't wasn't valued in fact it was seen as disrespectful uh, and so I got in trouble for talking too much if if you can imagine <laughs> that, right um and now i get to- I get paid to speak right and so in moments of question, it wasn't school that carried me I struggled at school at times i I think I probably went to school depressed most days right um just you know carrying my saxophone over the heel with my big heavy bag and um, and walking to school, and um, there were people like my barber, um, and people in like the faith, my faith community, and in my neighborhood who helped to keep me grounded. In fact, this morning I just got a call from my barber from Bermuda who was just giving me an update and checking in on me. Oh, like wow. it's, it's those are the people, and that's why I do what I do. So when I write about community-based pedagogical spaces, my fancy term for the barber shop, for the neighborhood, uh, for the athletic spaces, for faith communities. I write from a very personal place because I know that those were the spaces that continue to breathe in me when I felt like I can't breathe in these school structures, in these social structures that were never designed for people like me.
1: How do you define what D-E-I-B-J is? How, what does it mean to you um, in your yeah. life, but also in your position that you're working in right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have some clear definitions. We actually have a glossary in our office. Like a lot of people, you know, they, they, they see us do like the, 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 the you know, what someone see is the exterior, you know, pumping people up, encouraging people, uh, inspirational pieces of it, the external facing pieces. And that's important. And we also there's great strategy in, in what we do and great, um, this pedagogy. This is this is, this is is an educational space, right? So I, I have the opportunity to be a bridge and to connect um, the academic and athletic worlds in a way that I think sometimes they're disconnected. And I think I get get the opportunity to be a bridge in that way. Uh, and so to that end, you know, when we talk about diversity in our office and, and beyond, right, you know, folks are pretty, that's pretty common. You talk about difference, right? Recognizing individual differences, uh, valuing the uh, unique uh, uh, individual identities that people have, right? And 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 institutions typically value diversity because for the most part, I mean, it, it actually, it helps their organizations or at the very least, it's it makes them look good, right? Like you want to have at least some diversity, but, you know, we have to go further, right? We have to understand what equity is, which is not the same as equality. Equality is talking about the, the notion of things being equal. Equity, uh, it's talking about fairness, right? Uh, if you've ever seen a visual of um, you know it's pretty common online, take a look at it if you get a chance of uh, folks who are outside of like a baseball stadium and they're trying to see over a wall and you have people who are different heights. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Um, and you know equality would say give everybody the same size stool to see over the wall, but equity would differentiate the size of the stools to be able to attend to the differences and heights of the people so that each person can see or have the same uh, vantage point. Right. Um, you know, that that's equity. Uh, inclusion would say, you know, we talk about place. Right. Like being invited, being a part. Uh, and so when you've been continue with the baseball metaphor of the folks outside. Right. I like to have us to consider what does it look like for those people not just to watch the game, But to be included, for example, in the game, right? Maybe they want to participate and play. (laughs) Maybe they want to, you know, be a GM. Maybe they want to be a coach. Like, what does it look like to not just be a spectator? Belonging is um, the close, intimate relationships, the sense of security um, that one has. So you've been included, but you could be included and not feel like you're at the table or that you're welcomed. Um, And and so belonging has this sense of, you know, um, this space is for me and, um, and, and uh, or at the very least, there's int- intentionality of what does it look like for this space to feel like it's for me so that I can make it for others who are like me. And then justice, in our office, we like to say the J is for justice. Justice is the juice. You know, justice is doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time. So there's an urgency in the words of Dr. King, like the fierce urgency of now, like there's no time for gradualism. This isn't the time to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism, Dr. King says. Right. So there's an urgency. There's a passion that people feel when they interact, not just with me, but with the work that we're doing, um, because it matters. Because it has real implications for people's lives. Right. Um, you know, and and access, you know, and um And the value that we place or not on people's lives. Frankly, I mean, I've been in this DIBJ space for a very long time. And um, I I think that at times there's this sense that like um, all the real scholarship happens outside of sport. And I'm convinced that sport is a legitimate academic discipline, a legitimate academic space that athletes and coaches and and administrators in the space are brilliant. And I think that we need to strengthen the connection and the bridge between these supposed disparate spaces to bat, to battle uh, uh, help our, our human society. Sport, like music, is a language that brings people together.
1: Sport, says Douglas, is one area where genius is manifested. And there's a lot of value in taking the time to understand the brilliance that goes into it.
0: You know, there are historical... Um, and racist ideologies of like the sort of mind body dualism, mm-hmm. right? That like certain things are more cerebral, and then other things are just about the body. And those those uh, constructs um, are, are most detrimental to people of color in particular, because of how black and brown bodies have been historically um, misused and abused in this country, right? And so, in the words of Dr. Harry Edwards, like the black athlete has to already overcome. The proverbial notion that "quote unquote" we're just a dumb jock, right? And or just an athlete, right? and that's something that you know athletes of all backgrounds have to navigate. And it becomes even more complicated uh, when you add to it, obviously, the racialized narratives um, about you know about black and brown people in this country that um, show up in sports.
1: Harry Edwards is a renowned sports activist and UC Berkeley professor emeritus of sociology. Last year, Douglas had a conversation with Edwards about the intersections of race and sport, the history of predatory inclusion, and the power of sport to change society.
0: I mean, Dr. Harry Edwards is, is just a, a, uh, an amazing and important pioneer um, in, in activism and, and, and sport and society. In fact, super excited. You know, we're working on a project with him um, to actually highlight and share uh, his last lectures. Uh, with our campus community and to offer, I don't want to give it all away, but we're trying to work on some things in our department that would be pretty cool um, to uh, engage, not just with him, but with some of the individuals that he, uh, that he highlights in his lectures. And so um, I'm grateful for his, his, uh, his example. I agree um, with, you know, his, um, his take that, you know, how that sport is a vital um, mechanism uh, and tool of, um, societal change. Yeah. 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 I believe that there are things that you're forced to talk about in sport and you get to talk about in sport that you can avoid in other spaces. And in part it's because like Brian Stevenson says, there's something powerful about proximity, right? Um, there's something powerful about working together towards a common goal. Um, there's something about, you know, uh, like I said, sport invites you to cheer for people who are different from you. Um, and I think it's vital that that sharing and advocacy continues off the court, off the field. It's important that we understand the systematic and systemic nature of racism. And I think it's important that we have these conversations even around white supremacy, because you're talking about the devaluing of black lives. And so when something has been created for a particular group or, 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 or without the thought or inclusion of particular groups of people, it's very difficult for those organizations to ever really fully without great intention and for great accountability along the way to be able to include those folks because the, the nature of it is that it will always go back to what and for whom it was created. I think it's important that we can have these spaces for understanding uh, and for relationship building uh, and for information education so you can get beyond those fears and also really engage in not just allyship but being accomplices in challenging uh, systematic oppression, uh, that impacts us all.
1: So, Doctor Tai, I was wondering if you could talk about some on the ground just initiatives that you've been working on, and and really what it looks like to do the work of DEIBJ.
0: Yeah, sure. I think uh, when I think about just the the timeline of my of, of my arrival, uh, and then. The 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 vision, you know, uh, you sort of capturing and casting, right? Yeah, I had to, to understand the vision. Um, you know, we took a lot of time to listen. In fact, you know, in 2020, even before I came, listening was happening. Um, and and once I got here in 2021, it was really also about, you know, lifting, right? And so you're listening because I needed to listen, but also how do we lift up some of the voices that um not are not always heard as much, right? And not as and not centered. We're seeking to ensure that this happens, this work is happening with being thoughtful about it every single day. Uh, so what that looked like, for example, is the development of our, um, we call them Accelerate DIBJ employee engagement groups, right? So we have, you know, engagement groups for our staff and coaches. Uh, and we have student athlete versions of them as well um, that are uh, led by our Cameron Institute and our office partners with, with, with you know, many of them. And, um, you know, so that, you know, m- you know, for like our black staff and coaches for our, our Latinx community, for our LGBTQ plus community, right? For our indigenous community, uh, for our AAPI community. And these uh, communities, um, you know, individuals who have not only, you know, become more comfortable sharing, um, and, and, and leading, but now they're lifting others, right? You know, um, so that also includes, you know, um, like just shifts in practice and policy, right? Around, uh, when, when we're hiring, right, um, you know, I'm in consultation with hiring managers about ensuring that, you know, we're engaged in best practices and that we we have a diverse pool, that we're reaching out to the right networks to ensure we can uh, have a diverse pool. Um, you know, we've hosted various individuals, the program, and you mentioned, you know, the event uh, with Dr. Harry Edwards. You know, we have a D.I.B.J. book club that's led by our CFO, who's amazing. Like that type of stuff is happening, right? People wouldn't even know that you, when you have a CFO, shout out to Tom Lowry, who's a behind the scenes person, who probably wouldn't even want me to say his name because he's just that type of guy. But I think it's important that we have that we give flowers and acknowledge that like, we have people who want to be a part of solutions. And that's powerful, right? You know, it, it's a lot of it is is interpersonal. It's about relationships, right? It's about, um, you know, sensing the needs of people, being proximate. Um, there's a lot that we do that people will never see. It's a beautiful job. Um, no two days are the same, but every single day I get a chance to love people. I get a chance to lift people and listen to people. Uh, and seek to leverage that momentum for individual and institutional impact, not just in our department, but we're seeking to also obviously be partners and levers um, as you relates to the work on campus that's being led by many competent individuals. So we're grateful to be a part of the Cal UC Berkeley family and, um, and to be able to engage uh, together each day.
1: And so thinking about um, the, the, the years of work to come, um, when you think about what success looks like, what do you envision? What do you have in your head?
0: Yeah, you know, I would love for uh, us to be, um, you know, a center of excellence, right? The DIBJ Institute, right? Um, we're, you know, we're also producing research. I'm, I'm a scholar, right? i a practitioner. So I would love um, that, you know, we could, um, you know, have you know, tenured faculty members, you know, who actually have a home in athletics, right? We think about like the academic and athletic connection, right? That we could build a a, a space um, that is not just respected in academia, but actually gets to contribute in ways that show up in the metrics of academia, right? Um, and contribute in an intentional way as we continue to seek to be and be the number one public, right? So some of the things that we do, they may never show up even in like traditional metrics, right? Some of what we do is very difficult to quantify, but it's certainly been qualified by the lived experience of people who come back and say thank you or by their presence. And so for us, for me, I really see this work as life and death, not just of human life or death, but also of potential of that glow in a person's eyes when they know that they belong. You can see it. You can feel it. Belonging has a feeling um, and you can feel the healthy space. And I believe that that will also show up for us in national championships, in the sports uh, that we serve, in the sports that we're a part of, and in the degrees, academic and otherwise, that our student-athletes actually earn and our staff and coaches help them and support them, too.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. Is there, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we didn't touch on?
0: I'm just super excited. Um, I think it's important that anyone who knows... About the Calathetics DEIBJ office, knows that you know I get to work with an amazing team of colleagues and leaders. You know I want to acknowledge my athletic director Jim Knowlton, uh, who um, I, I get to partner with. You know he uh, is a man who, who when he believes in a cause, he's been to jump out of planes for it. Literally, I mean that's what he did in his military background. And um, and so you know when I think about moving here in the middle of a global pandemic, moving my family here and uh, and coming, I came in because I believed that this is a special place. Um, and that we can do something here that is world changing uh, this is not hyperbole when I say it. I believe we can win a Nobel Prize through d i b j in sport like i this is a new field, and we are leaders in it. I get to consult and work with various professional and other organizations you know corporate companies, you know have me come and share and so the concepts that i uh, have been able to mobilize and partnership with our team here um they 're innovative and they 're game changers. And I want to acknowledge you know that there was a strategic plan in, in the Catholic department that helped them in partnership with alums and staff members on campus who said, "Hey, we want to get better in this area." So you know, I'm here because they wanted me here, right?" And so I'm grateful for my team that I get to work with. I'm grateful for the leaders in our department that I get to partner with. I'm grateful for our maids and student athletes. and um, I just want to invite your audience to join us in the journey. And more than anything else. Let's continue to believe um, there's a lot of um, challenges in our world. And I still we still have hope. And in part, we have hope because, as I shared earlier, we believe that J is for justice. Justice really is the juice. So if you engage this journey of the pursuit of justice, you will have juice and energy and hopefully joy to be able to continue to live life with purpose. So thank you again for having me. Um, let's continue to accelerate the together.
1: Tyron Douglas is the Associate Athletic Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging, and Justice at Cal Athletics. To get in touch with the DEIBJ office at Cal Athletics, email caldeibjoffice at berkeley.edu. You can learn more about the office's work at calbears.com sports DEIBJ. I'm Ann Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs at UC Berkeley. You can follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also have another show called Berkeley Talks, which features lectures and conversations at Berkeley. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.